Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hey all, this is Eric Christensen, pharmacist, host of the Real Life Pharmacology podcast. Hope you're enjoying the show overall. If you're listening for the first time, uh, hopefully you can uh, get some value out of this uh, podcast, whether you're preparing uh, for real life or whether you're preparing for uh, pharmacology exams or board exams. Uh, so with that, let's get into the podcast. We're going to cover Rivaroxaban today. The brand name of that medication is Xarelto, and this is an anticoagulant type medication. Uh, this is one of the uh, more common newer uh, oral anticoagulants. Uh, Rivaroxaban and Apixaban, which I have done a podcast about, are probably the two most commonly used uh, new oral anticoagulants that I see. And uh, actually, there was a recent update uh, with AHA, ACC, uh, and HRS in their, their guidelines, and NOACs are now preferred. So those are the, the novel oral anticoagulants. Uh, Rivaroxaban and Apixaban, as well as a couple others too that aren't used quite as often. But these drugs are, are now preferred uh, over warfarin in the majority of situations in uh, atrial fibrillation when we're trying to uh, prevent stroke. There's a couple exceptions like mitral stenosis as well as uh, uh, potentially artificial valves as well. Um, but overall, in the uh, majority of, of cases, these drugs are now uh, preferred. So that's uh, an interesting uh, update there. And how these drugs work, or at least how rivaroxaban works, is it uh, prevents those clots by inhibiting factor 10A. So this is an important factor uh, that's within the uh, clotting cascade and formation of clots. So factor 10, 10A is required for the conversion of prothrombin to thrombin. And thrombin ultimately activates platelets and uh, forms fibrin, which is essential for clot formation. So by preventing, by inhibiting um, factor 10A, ultimately we uh, prevent the formation of blood clots. Now, from an adverse effect uh, profile characteristic, obviously anytime we're going to inhibit the formation of clots, we're going to put our patients at risk for bleeding uh, if the blood gets too thin. So that's always the risk with any type of uh, anticoagulant. Um, both can be very serious consequences, consequences if we're uh, undertreated, inadequately treated for stroke prevention. A stroke is a very serious consequence. If uh, we uh, overtreat or the patient doesn't tolerate the medication, uh, that risk for bleed uh, can be s very substantial and uh, risky as well. So uh, we always um, have to weigh uh, those clinical benefits versus uh, some of those clinical risks. I did want to talk about dosing a little bit specifically uh, with rivaroxaban. Uh, in non-valvular AFib, uh, typical dose is 20 milligrams once a day. Now, 
in my mind, this is uh, definitely advantageous over a Pixaban in that you only have to give it uh, once a day. Uh, I know from working with patients that uh, you start giving patients more and more medications to take throughout the day, uh, that risk of them not uh, complying or adhering uh, to what we want them to do tends to, to go up. So a Pixaban is twice a day and Rivaroxaban is once a day. Uh, but that you know doesn't tell the, the full story. There's a few other reasons why I like a Pixaban as well too. Um, but uh, with the, the single once daily dosing, that definitely is a, a, an advantage uh, over a Pixaban there. Now in DVT-PE treatment, that's a little bit different dosing, and we actually use uh, twice-a-day dosing there for a period of time. So it's typically 15 milligrams twice a day, and that's for 21 days, and then it's uh, 20 milligrams uh, once a day thereafter. And again, this, this can alter based upon um, you know clinical decision-making and clinical factors, um, but that's kind of the usual standard dosing. And one at least advantage in, in my mind of a Pixaban over Rivaroxaban is uh, the clarity on the, the dosing. So interestingly, in non-valvular AFib with Rivaroxaban, standard dose is 20 milligrams once a day. If uh, creatinine clearance is 15 to 50 mils, it's 15 milligrams once a day. Uh, but they do uh, leave this caveat open uh, where you may consider reduction in, in moderate to severe, to severe, to severe CKD. Uh, so it, it's kind of a, a little bit gray. And then kind of to muddy the waters, um, in DVT and, and use for PE, if creatinine clearance is less than 30, it's generally recommended to avoid use. So you know, 15 to 50 mils, we can maybe do a reduced dose in atrial fibrillation. And less than 30 with DVT-PE, uh, a package insert at least says to generally avoid use of this medication. So that kind of gives me a little bit of, of reservation and, and pause um, in patients that, you know, maybe fluctuate a little bit with their um, kidney function and that type of thing. So uh, kind of a, a tough, you know, thing to, to figure out, know exactly what's right to do. Um, I'm optimistic uh, over time uh, that there's probably going to be more evidence and more studies uh, to kind of tease this out a little bit as far as that kidney function and, uh, you know, exact doses that we should be using. Uh, but again, a, a Pixavan tends to spell that out a little bit better um, as far as the dosing. And I believe I, I went through that dosing on previous podcasts, so I'm not going to do that with a, a Pixavan today. But I did want to cover dosing a, a little bit there because I, I do think it is uh, important to uh, monitor that kidney function, pay attention, and obviously clinically monitor your patients as well for um, risk of bleed and or risk of uh, stroke there as well. Adverse effects, I mentioned the anemia. Uh, as far as other adverse effects, uh, personally, I haven't seen a lot. I, I remember one patient that um, had some fatigue and dizziness and things of that nature. Uh, and they actually weren't anemic. Um, it, it was they felt it was from the medication, and, and that that patient was switched 
off of that. Uh, but again, very, very rare and, and seldom have I seen uh, too many side effects other than that, that bleed risk at this point. Um, like I said, if you do have a patient that is experiencing um, signs and symptoms of anemia, dizziness, fatigue, you know, tiredness, they want to sleep all day, that type of thing, they look pale in color, uh, definitely, you know, we've, we've got to monitor that CBC, you know, make sure their hemoglobin isn't, isn't falling, they aren't losing blood and stool or, or wherever. So definitely uh, keep, keep tabs on that as patients are on uh, therapy. One other thing I wanted to, to talk about uh, with these agents is transition. This is a question that's come up definitely in, in my clinical practice before is how do we transition, you know, patient from warfarin uh, to a newer agent or, you know, from anoxaparin to rivaroxaban and so on and so forth. So I wanted to cover a couple of those uh, topics here. So so low molecular weight heparin, uh, anoxaparin is by far the, the most common one used there. Uh, two, rivaroxaban. Uh, in most cases, just giving uh, the dose on the, the usual scheduled dose, so within two hours prior to the next scheduled dose of anoxaparin, uh, that patient is going to, to be covered. So you, you really don't miss a beat. You don't double up. You just kind of keep um, giving that dose kind of in their usual um, dosing schedule uh, with a, at least two hours prior to the next scheduled dose there of when they were going to get uh, their next dose of anoxaparin. Uh, one other one I wanted to, to touch on was if you're transitioning a patient from warfarin to rivaroxaban, which may happen now more and more um, given those those newer guidelines I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, if we've got a, a patient uh, with an INR less than three, uh, then we stop warfarin and start that rivaroxaban. So that is, that is U.S. Um, guidelines package insert. Um, Canadian package insert says less than or equal to 2.5 INR. Um, then we stop the rivaroxaban and give, or excuse me, stop the warfarin and uh, start in with the, the rivaroxaban there. Now, if you've got a patient um, that's, there may be some clinical judgment here. If you've got a patient at super high risk of bleed, you know, you, you maybe wouldn't want their INR at, at 2.9, let's say, or very close to three, um, before starting that dose of, of river, river So you might err on the side of caution, allow that INR to get a little bit, um, lower, maybe closer to two. Um, but again, you know, that, that's kind of a clinical judgment thing. Um, looking at the, the patient, how they're doing, and um, maybe what their, their bleed risk is. So just wanted to uh, cover a few of those little uh, quirks and, and pearls with rivaroxaban and um, you know how to, to transition um, those uh, patients on and or off the, the drug in a couple situations there. Uh, let's take a quick break from our sponsor, meded101.com. Uh, we've got a great list of resources for uh, practicing clinicians, uh, pharmacists, nurses, um, good case books with case studies, things of that nature. Uh, all those resources, as well as for board exams like uh, pharmacotherapy and geriatrics and ambulatory care, uh, NAPLEX as well. All those resources are uh, kept at meded101.com slash store, and uh, it's a great way to uh, support the podcast. Uh, if you're willing and, and able to do that as well. So meded101.com slash store. You can go check out all those resources. 
Let's finish up here on drug interactions. Uh, one of the big advantages of these newer agents is there's less potential for diet and drug interactions than with warfarin. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't any drug interactions. We have to pay attention uh, with these agents. And I'm going to give you some examples of meds uh, that we, we really need to, to pay attention to. And again, uh, when I lay out some of these drug interactions, these are things that I think are highly, highly important um, and or, um, you know, I, I've seen potentially in clinical practice um, come to come to an issue or pre present an issue there. So um, with that said, the list is definitely not all-inclusive. Um, I would strongly encourage you to look some of these things up as you uh, decide to start a patient on a new medication who's on some of these um, anticoagulation anticoagulants um, and or uh, as you're changing doses and, and changing things with a patient's medication regimen. So without further ado, um, avoiding use of rivaroxaban is recommended in patients on dual p-glycoprotein inhibitors and CYP3A4 inhibitors. So if, a few examples here, and, and these drugs aren't used crazy often, um, but just wanted to provide you a few examples. Uh, ketoconazole, itraconazole, uh, ritonavir uh, are, are a few examples of those agents, and that is recommended to absolutely avoid um, using those agents with rivaroxaban. 3A4 inducers is an, another uh, class there. Carbamazepine, I do see that drug used occasionally, uh, whether it's you know trigeminal neuralgia, occasionally for seizures, maybe a, a rare case of bipolar disorder. Um, we've got to look out for that because these inducers will actually lower concentrations of the rivaroxaban and potentially uh, lead you down the path of uh, treatment failure, increasing the risk of stroke um, by not having adequate concentrations there. So carbamazepine, uh, rifampin, uh, antibiotic that's, that's used occasionally, not terribly often. Um, St. John's warts, something I have seen patients try. Uh, for depression, it's an over-the-counter supplement, so definitely uh, strongly educate uh, your patients about that one if they're ever considering taking over-the-counters. Uh, a couple other things to, to think about or that I definitely think about is erythromycin, clarithromycin. Uh, these are th CYP3A4 inhibitors. Uh, they have been shown to potentially increase concentrations of rivaroxaban, so again, may lead to a situation where we're at higher risk of bleed. Um, NSAIDs, they can, you know, inhibit those platelets. They can cause issues there, um, potentiating the effect of a GI bleed. So definitely we need to, to look out for that. I, I strongly encourage patients, um, you know, to avoid these medications over the counter. Antiplatelet medications, so we got clopidogrel and, and aspirin. Uh, there has been some, some updates on guidelines um, in patients uh, who have uh, recently had a heart attack and a stent, and they also have atrial fibrillation. So you might want to go um, take a peek at that if you're a prescriber uh, and or a clinical pharmacist that may need to be, be aware of that. I'm not going to go through that today. Um, so definitely those drugs that can increase the risk of bleed, we, we've got to keep tabs on that. Those antiplatelets and NSAIDs are, are commonly, commonly used, and we need to uh, pay attention to that.
One other one I, I did want to mention, uh, estrogen therapy. So um, patients with hot flashes, menopausal-type symptoms uh, that may be on estrogen therapy, remember, they can increase uh, the risk of blood clots and may kind of oppose the effects of some of these newer oral anticoagulants like rivaroxaban. So I think that's going to wrap it up for today. Uh, thanks so much for listening. If you love the podcast, uh, get some some pearls, some clinical info out of it. I'm greatly appreciated if you'd uh, leave a review rating on uh, iTunes or wherever you're listening. That's certainly appreciated. Uh, if you have the opportunity, go support the, the podcast, meded101.com slash store. You can see all those uh, resources there. See if anything fits uh, with what uh, what you're wanting to uh, look at and, and learn there. So uh, with that, I'm going to sign off. Thanks so much for listening. All the kind words. Um, greatly appreciated and, and emails appreciated as well. Uh, we do have uh, that free giveaway as well at reallifepharmacology.com. Uh, top 200 uh, study guide, uh, 31 page PDF where I highlight really important things um, with each drug uh, in that uh, study guide. Great resource for students, young professionals that may be taking board exams um, at any time in the uh, near future or pharmacology classes, of course. Uh, signing off, thanks again. Uh, Eric Christensen, pharmacist. You can track me down at LinkedIn as well. Have a great rest of your day. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.